This is the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Preston, episode 106, Leadering. Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for goal-getting, fear-facing women who are kicking ass by creating change. I'm your host, Lindsay Preston. I'm a wife, mom of two, and a multi-certified life coach to women all over the world. I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. We can't fear the fire, we must learn to become it. And on this show, I'll teach you how to do just that. So join me as I challenge you to become even more of the strong, resilient, and powerful woman you are meant to be. Let's do this. is unstoppable welcome to another episode of the show today i have a very special guest her name is nancy gordano and she is a strategic futurist global keynote speaker corporate strategist and gatherer with a drive to help enterprise organization and visionary leaders transform to meet escalating expectations with more than 80 keynote talks and recognized as one of the world's top female futurists. She has worked with many leading companies to evolve over 50 billion worth of business. Oh my goodness. I can't even begin to tell you how amazing this interview was with Nancy. She is going to talk about first off what leadering is because you may be scratching your head a little bit of like, what does that mean? And how leadering is different from leader or leadership. And in that definition, she's going to talk about how we're leaving the industrial age and how we are embracing this new age. And she talks about what this new age looks like, which I don't know about you, but I haven't heard a lot of people talk about that. So it's really exciting. All we're hearing about lately, it seems, is just like, oh my gosh, all these systems are breaking and all these things are falling apart. Well, they're falling apart for a very good reason. And Nancy, being one of the top futurists in the world, has this knack and ability, and she speaks with other futurists and she talks about that here in the episode, but she has this ability to be able to see, hey, here's where we're going next. And where we're going next, again, it's very exciting, especially for women. We're bringing in a lot of feminine qualities into this term she calls leadering. And it's going to be really important for us as women to be able to step up and do some mindset things to be able to step up at this time and to put ourselves out there because the opportunity for us is growing day by day. And so Nancy and I talk about some of those mindset things. Now, Nancy is not a mindset person. Obviously, she's a business person. Um, But, you know, a lot of these things that are holding us back as women and being, you know, able to leader or leadering, as she keeps saying, um, then we've got to be able to do these things to be able to get to that place. And so Nancy and I talk about that. Now, Nancy talks really fast. She actually talks faster than I do, believe it or not. And so if it's too fast for you, go to your podcast player and you can see there's different speeds, maybe slow it down a little bit because she delivers a lot. And a lot of this content for me was new, even though I have her book and I'm starting to dive in and all of that, it was a lot for me to take in. I'm actually going to go back and listen to it again without having to interview her at the same time. 
because she just over delivers on what she gives in this interview. And I don't want you to miss it at all because she just gives you so much to be able to become a better visionary leader and a way to play bigger in your life. Now, this isn't just in your professional life. This is for you to step into every aspect of your life as a stronger leader. Okay. So get ready for this one. I hope you're, you're, you're tuned in. Okay. No distractions on this one. You're going to need to really focus in again, a very, very powerful episode. So without further ado, here's my interview with Nancy. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Lindy. I'm excited to have you on this show and to talk about this thing called leadering. So tell us, what does leadering mean? You know, um, I think the best way to, to get into it is sort of step back just a little bit about the fact that there are these various eras of technology and business that define how we show up as leaders or managers or people in organizations. And so there was this industrial era that lasted you know, for many decades slash maybe hundreds of years. Uh, starts sort of, I guess, in the mid-1700s and um, has sort of carried us through and we're no longer in that era. So what was defined as leadership, which was a certain way in which we organize, I would argue is no longer holding in a world that is what we're calling into the productivity revolution. So there's mm-hmm. a bunch of factors that go into that that have to do with technology and culture and how things are going to shift quite dramatically and that we're sort of just on the front end of. So if we're on the front end of this way of doing things completely different as organizations and as a society, we need a different way of being able to manage our way through. And so um, the cleanest and easiest way that I could describe it was the difference between a noun and a verb. So leadership is a noun, it's static and hierarchical and closed and very intentionally designed to root, you know, to keep out variability, like to keep things as consistent and um, uh, ensure that we are able to scale growth infinitely and have short quarterly growth consistently delivered. And leadering, it just takes a different approach. It's about being a verb. It's about being dynamic and responsive and caring and inclusive. And it's designed to support constant innovation and iteration for long-term sustainable value. So it actually takes a long view on value creation as opposed to on R&D and just sort of flips it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I keep hearing about how we're out of the industrial revolution and especially 2020 has really shown that even if we just look at our education system, it's like that was what we were training people for. And so hearing you say this is like, wow, this is so exciting that we're transitioning because I didn't know what are we transitioning to? Well, that was just it, but people are still using sometimes the language of the fourth industrial revolution. And I was having conversations with people throughout the day today about how outdated that is, because it still assumes that there's just another way of being able to tweak the playbook. Um, And we're just moving out of the industrial era. Almost all of the assumptions and expectations and the way that we hold risk and the way that we organize things in that era are no longer going to hold up in a world of artificial intelligence and spatial computing and robotics and bioengineering and 5G and something quantum. And if you just take a look at all of the technologies that are um, emerging and converging, which is really the key, and will transform every industry, every organization, every sort of societal um, structure as we know it. And the way I describe it also, and this is the part that I think that we've underestimated, is when you talk to the people who are building the future, the technologists, the designers, the scientists, the entrepreneurs, the engineers, and you ask them how far along we are, almost universally you hear 1%. Wow. So that just means that there's a lot of room for shift and change. And in launching this book, we just launched this, whatever, 10 days ago or 14 days ago. And um, we've been doing a series of um, Zoom sessions and interviews with other experts as a way of being able to help people kind of 
uh, track along with us around the chapters of the book. And one of them is Stephen Kotler, a close friend of mine who wrote The Future's Faster Than You Think. And he and I had a conversation a few days ago about the fact that there are little, he thinks that there are 14 to maybe 20 internet-sized opportunities that are waiting to be blossomed. Wow. Right? I know. Let's just talk about that for a second. It's like <laughs> mind blown. It is. And so that's just it. You know, and again, I get the I get the privilege of living on the frontier of all this with the people who are designing all this. And so for yeah. me, it's a little less daunting. And someone asked me earlier today about why I do what I do. It's because I don't want to be blindsided. Like I really love kind of knowing what's coming and being able to help us make sense of it and build the capacities to be able to ensure that we navigate our way through safely. Um, but it is really kind of extraordinary. Even I, as much as, you know, we did a project recently about imagining um, society 50 years from now for a client. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of cool things that we can talk about and what's happening in healthcare and what's happening in finance, what's happening in education, what's happening in everything and manufacturing. And even that I am, you know, probably underestimating what's about to happen. So the question is less about what's going to happen than how we think about it. So this book was really designed to shore up this ability to, uh, to the gap that we have in understanding and, 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 the way that we approach things. I just think that we're, we're approaching it from such an outdated mindset and we need to bring a much fresher mindset. And what I love about your podcast and being a part of this community is I do think that there's not just a feminine gaze to it or an edge to it, but there's a real, um, there'll be a much more human centric component to this. There'll be much more caring. We're talking about caring economics at the most like extraordinary level, like completely redesigning like from GDP to an alternative called the social wealth index, which really puts people and humans and our connection to one another really at the center of this. And we are the people who are going to be ushering that in, right? We're the people who innately get that. And so uh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you and your community. Yeah. I mean, I don't live in this future world at all. Nancy, are you aware of the assessment called Clifton Strengths at all? Or used to be called Strengths Finder way back in the day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So there's a strength in there called futuristic. I don't have it, but that's when you're talking about all this and these people, I'm like, these are all futuristic people. And so we find so much inspiration from y'all of sharing all of this stuff because we can't see it. And so it's so exciting. Yeah, there's two components to it, right? One is the futuristic part who can just start to say, this is what it's going to look like over here. And there are um, people who do that even more, you know, boldly and, and creatively than I do. I'm a strategist. I'm a strategic futurist. I'm really here trying to help create a path between here and there. That is that we have confidence around and that we can get excited about and that we can get really motivated to go help build. I really want to help build a better next. And part of it is because I don't think that the past really worked that well for everybody, right? If you really look at the full landscape, women weren't fully included in that. Certainly, you know, many people were not full beneficiaries of all that has happened in the last several hundred years, if not thousands of years. And so there's a way to build this significantly better. Um, And so the question is, how do we get there? And so what I get excited about is helping people create um, a better understanding of it. So maybe another way of thinking about it is that we've had a, a map. We've all been taught that this is how to do it. Right? This is what leadership was. It was like I said, it was a playbook. It was a map. And we're now in terrain that is so unknown and is changing so quickly around us. The conditions around us continue to change. How do we build the capacities for that? So imagine instead I gave you a compass and I said, here's how you use a compass to be able to go into terrain that you don't know. Well, that feels like, okay, I can do that right? I can trade a map for a compass. But then the question is, how do I know where to go? And then the North Star becomes a part of it. So purpose, um, we're going to hear so much more about that on an individual level, on an organizational level, on a, I would even argue on a country level or nation level, you're starting to see that start to play out around the world, around the various places that people are carving out in this you know, exponential productivity revolution about the role that they want to have in it. So uh, there's a lot that is being um, constructed and reimagined and redesigned and rethought right now. 
Yeah. Well, when I hear the purpose piece, that's a big thing I do with my clients of let's find your purpose in this Mm -hmm. world and intention. And so I hear you saying is like, we're all going to be doing that collectively. Well, we're doing it individually and collectively. So there's a really humanistic piece. Like we can talk all about the technologies and um, they're, they're exciting and they're fascinating. They're interesting to see what the use cases around all that are. Um, and some of the curiosities that we need to have around that. So we're leaning into it, not so scared of it. But I really, what we're finding so much in this work, Lindsay, is that it's really a very humanistic thing. It's about how we connect with one another. It's our sense of self-awareness. It's our sense of self-worth. It's our sense of purpose. And knowing how to express that and feeling agency to be able to express that, being in systems that support that and really being able to better sense if we're in a system that allows or doesn't allow for that and how we shift it if it doesn't. You know, when I talk a lot about the five shifts that are um, forces that are shaping the new economy. Uh, and one of it is just not only our sense of resilience and, you know, our, our ability to kind of like get through the difficult times but recognizing the systems around us that are holding us well at home, our, at our employers, at our retailers and the brands that we choose and our governments. You know, there's a lot that we're kind of sussing out right now about whether or not we feel comfortable and safe. And so there's a lot of um, awakening that is happening around all this internally and externally. And so I do think that really that internal piece is, a, is, the, is what we're finding is the place to start. That is actually a really critical piece. Yeah, I mean, it excites me as someone who's in mental health and mindset of like, we're all going to be collectively starting to look at this more. And as you said, we're questioning the systems right now. Let's do things differently. And in order to do that, we have to question all of our beliefs and everything we're doing. That is so key. I mean, it's funny. Again, I, I did, you know, we did 11 interviews over the last eight days as part of this launch. And almost every one of them comes down to this idea of self-awareness and the sense of your purpose and the sense of really understanding who you are and aligning your beliefs with your actions and your intentions and your expressions, again, on the most individual level. And then as a team, as an organization, as an industry, as a society, uh, it mushrooms out. We talk a lot about that. You know, when you look at the lens, the future, there's three lenses, which is we always start with the professional, like how can we do our job better? Um, we're humans that are going through this, right? Mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, community members, and we're members of society, increasingly being asked to um, take responsibility for our actions in that greater scope, which is both daunting and I think really exciting because it means that if you make some good decisions, you have an ability to impact lots and lots of people. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So exciting. Okay. So how did you arrive at these set of beliefs, Nancy? Like, how do you see this is the future. I know you've been speaking with a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's a, a really great question because I do, it's, it's, it's probably three or so full. First is that I um, you know, grew up in, in ad agencies. I've probably multiple reasons. One, I grew up in phenomenal ad agencies. That's where I was trained and I built amazing brands and got a, a you know, really, really great education in business. But what we saw was a big, giant digital transformation that came through um, at, I guess in the nineties, early two thousands that really reshaped everything. And when the internet came on, you know, we sort of changed the game and I saw how much that can completely whipsaw an industry, um, change the talent game of who was prepared for that and who wasn't prepared for that. Um, and it really sort of woke me up a bit. And I think at that point is when I realized that, um, building things the way that we had built them, meaning that we really cared a lot about a communications campaign really wasn't going to be where it was at. It was going to be around more values and how organizations uh, structured themselves around that. And so I moved into that terrain and I did a lot of consulting with big, huge, iconic companies. And um, I had a pretty good sense of where things were going. I had an ability to be able to synthesize information and then we bring it to them going, look, like if I just like bring it to you, it's all going to be great. And they're like, mm, I don't believe any of that. I'm like, oh my God. And so what I realized is that I'm like, 
advocating for the world is round. And they're like, no, the world is very flat. And so I'm building a boat that goes over the edge. I'm like, no, that's never going to work. And so the resistance around that was really, really frustrating for me and exhausting. And so I finally decided to heck with that. I'm going to go join the tech people. And so I was invited to help start an artificial intelligence company five or six years ago. Um, we didn't get the full funding that we wanted to, but I you know, threw myself into a world of AI, software, startup, um, and culture and talent. And uh, it was quite a beast. It was extraordinary learning. Really, really great. And it made me only sort of double down a lot of my thinking around all this. Um, and then I built a conference on the seven most disruptive technologies and programmed it so that you could see an industry leader, a practitioner, and a visionary around all seven of those. And once you saw you know, that over the course of two or three days, man, you got a really clear view of where we were headed and how unprepared we are for all that. And I wanted to help people understand that. Um, and then I have been doing, you know, as a result, sort of been able to tell that story in a way that helps um, people make sense of it and have done 80 keynote talks around the world in the last I don't know, two or three years. And every time I do a talk, people brief me on what's going on in their industry or what's going on in their organization and where the gap is. And so you take that times 80, right? You get a really clear view about what's happening. You hear almost the same analogy over and over again. We're building, you know, the plane while we fly it. We're putting the wheels on the car while we race it. We're building the bridge while we cross it. Like literally I had a, a day where I'm getting briefed on two different talks by two different sets of clients who used almost the exact same metaphor. Wow. <laughs> and so you realize is that everyone's going through this and everyone's asking some of the same questions about how we navigate our way through. And so what I'm just trying to do again is shift the way people think. I want them to think differently about risk. I want them to think differently about how you navigate. I want them to have confidence in moving through. Because one of the things that we're finding from all of this work is that fear just locks people into place. And if anything, gets them to double down and resist change. And if anything, what we need to think about is it's not change, it's growth. Right. Right. And it's not about losing something. It's about gaining opportunities. And there are some scary stuff on the horizon and we need everybody in there to help steward it safely. And we absolutely need women in this technology. I, I think that there's a, a big miss right now. I, again, was describing it to someone earlier today because, you know, Women's History Month. Um, and I would argue Women's Futures Month probably be a better way to look at it. Um, but historically, when we talk about innovation, we always talk, refer to men. We hardly ever refer to women that have been really breakthrough entrepreneurs like Madam C.J. Walker, who if anyone doesn't know, Google her immediately. She's amazing. Yep. Um, and then we talk about the women that are in the field right now. And there's such a lack of women in artificial intelligence, in robotics, in um, cybersecurity, in so many of the areas where we need a feminine perspective married with a masculine perspective. And then in value creation, out of the 560 IPOs that have happened in the last several years, three were founded by women. Wow. Look at that. Like we're not making the money, right? And so we need to be part of the value creation that is happening as well. Um, so you know, props to uh, Whitney from Bumble, who just recently IPO'd yeah. so successfully here. We're all so proud of her. Um, but you know, she's, you know, she's such an anomaly. And uh, that's a shame. And she had to face so many barriers to get to where she was. People didn't believe in her idea. So we're just trying to uh, open that playing field a lot more. Yeah. I mean, of course, I'm going back to all of this as a mindset lens, Nancy. I'm like, you're talking about the, you said something like the aversion to risk is one of the things we've got to overcome. And really, again, that to me comes back to mindset, which you talked about of like, th this, these are growth opportunities and, and really programming women to take those risks and put themselves out there, believe in themselves and do the things. Would you agree? Yeah. So there's two, or, or again, multiple, my brain always goes to like multiple dimensions. Right. Yeah. Stuff, right. So the first is just, let's just talk about risk in general. And I would argue again, the things that most business leaders that are older than your target is, but that, you know, most, you know, older boomer business leaders um, were taught to do certain things because it would constrain risk. 
And all of those things now make us vulnerable. And so there's a lot of unlearning that that generation of leaders have to figure out. So things like putting things in silos or things like making sure that all the biggest decisions got done by the people with the longest tenure or making really incremental shifts, like all those things put us at risk. And so what I'm trying to do with that level of leadership is help them reinterpret that actually this way of behaving is actually the safer way of behaving. I'm advocating for this is the safe way and that's the scary way as opposed to the opposite. So there's that. And then you put the lens on of women. Uh, and there's really amazing work that Carol Gilligan did in the 80s. And she wrote a book called In a Different Voice. Most of us are unfamiliar with her work, but she really made a distinction between how men and women hold risk in general. Um, and she just, uh, the, the easiest way to describe it is the difference between internal and external. So uh, when in its most you know, stereotypic way, uh, when something good happens to a man, he attributes it to himself. And when something bad happens to a man, he trips it to the external forces. So if a business idea doesn't work, it wasn't that he didn't do it well. It was that, you know, timing was wrong. The guys didn't get it. They were jerks and didn't understand the big idea. Like they're able to completely externalize um, the, the bad news. Um, versus for women, it's the opposite. So when something good happens to a woman, and Stacey Abrams actually has a great TED, TED talk on this, if anybody wants to watch it. It was recently done. Then when something good happens to a woman, we attribute it to luck. Good timing, an amazing team. I got super lucky. Right? And when something bad happens to a woman, we think it's all our fault. Like, I should have known that that plant was going to catch on fire in a separate city. Right? I should have known, blah, 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 blah. Like, we have such responsibility for externalities that aren't ours to know. As a result, it's much harder for women to accept risk because if we hold ourselves responsible for all the dark side that could happen and we self flagellate ourselves afterwards, it doesn't feel really good to go take that risk. Right? It's much easier to go take it if you can externalize that. So the, the, the quickie, and anybody who's got teenagers can maybe see this, but I have you know, three kids and my oldest son, who I'll just say, just graduated a master's in aerospace, um, uh, had a math test once in high school where he got a 69. I'm like, babe, it's 69. And his answer was, the teacher didn't teach us anything that was on the test. <laughs> right? My daughter comes back from the 85. She's like, I need to drop out of math. I'm not smart enough. Right? And I'm just like, ah! So we just, we, those are the kinds of habits that I think if we can call ourselves out on it. And I've done... Um, so many stories around how we help coach each other through those moments where we see that behavior start to happen and we stop it in its tracks. Um, I'm happy to elaborate if you want, you know, a story around that, but, uh, yeah, I think that we can call each other out. And once we know that, then we can start to look at it and examine it with more. Yeah. I mean, I had heard that Nancy, but you bring it up again. I mean, I feel like that alone is so tangible. Game changing. It is changing. So, you know, so I'll tell you um, two stories. One is I was at an ideation session a million years ago um, and there was a young woman who was a scribe on our team and we were supposed to all come up with whatever the idea was and it was time up, you know, we had to go present and you could just see her like shrink and feel really insecure about it. And because our team had come up with nothing, <laughs> we were a terrible team. And I looked at her and I said, you realize that that's not you, right? We didn't come up with anything. You were a great scribe. This has nothing to do with you. And she looked at me like, really? And I'm like, yes, right? Because she took all the responsibility for the fact that this team hadn't pulled its act together as opposed to a dude who would not have done that. And the minute I just gave her permission to not hold that responsibility, you could just see her like relax and assume that she'll become a scribe again next time. Because otherwise, if she felt all that responsibility, you think she's going to want to step into that role again? Not really, right? Yeah. Um, another time was when we were working with Sprint and uh, I was working actually with an ad agency that had done a week-long project for them that started on a Monday and went to a Friday. And they were presenting the results to a senior executive was a woman. Um, and then videotape the whole thing to show, you know, how this process worked. And they wanted to capture her. It was, it was very successful. And they wanted to interview her. 
And I watched her say, oh, you know what? No, I haven't colored my hair and I'm just not ready. And she like deferred the interview. And I launched across the room and I'm like, you've never met me before. And I'm sorry that you don't know who I am. But let me just tell you, there's not a man on the planet that would not take credit for the work that just happened here over the course of this week. Like who cares if your hair is colored or not? Like own it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, all right. And she went to the room and she went and like did the video. But So I think at some points we just said in the moment, just need to coach each other to you know, get over whatever that old behavior is and, and absorb it. And the only reason I had the confidence to do that with her is I had been at a conference the week before where someone interviewed me and I did the old no, 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 no thing that I beat myself up afterwards. And it's like, now we got to do this better. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So that's more of like leadering, right? Yeah. Yeah. So leadering yeah. is really this a place about stepping into and being able to sense. So that I think that there is an innate ability um, that I, I'm just going to, I hate to be sexist about it. Cause I really am. I do think there are many amazing men who are leadering like such an, uh, Satya Nadella at Microsoft is an amazing example of this, but you look at Jacinda Arden in, um, New Zealand as an amazing example of what leadering looks like, which is again, very human, very responsive, very compassionate, really thinking through the systems and understanding how this is connected to this and connected to this is not just driven by um, only sales results or growth results is really thinking about the you know overall um, relevance and longevity of the business and the way that it impacts people in lots of different ways. So that's what really leadering is an invitation to is to really rethink why we're here and what we do and how we do it. Yeah, what I hear is a lot of adding in the people aspect. Yeah, 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 totally. And again, you know, if you um, I don't know if you have a chance to check out Fem Futurist Society, but because of my frustration about the fact that women are so discounted and uh, not fully included in this conversation about the future, um, uh, we set out to do a, uh, a conversation series with the women who were considered the top futurists in the country or in the world. There was some article about like the top fem- female futurists. And I was fortunate enough to be on that list. And I thought, you know what, it'd be really fun to meet all the other women that are on this list. And we decided to videotape them. And so we called it into, we described it as the Fem Futurist Society. And right now, I think we've only done 16 or 17 interviews. But if you go listen to them, the through thread around every one of them, and they're around the world from Africa to Sweden to um, to the United States, uh, is this human-centered aspect. It's really about building with having a, a real sense of, uh, of not just humanity, which is in its biggest form, but actually humans, designing with humans at the center and really thinking through the processes differently. Um, so regardless of whether they're in governance or whether they're in technology or whether they're in design or whether they're in whatever aspect of the futurist word and foresight work that they're focused on, there's there's a really consistent through line in that, which is really very encouraging and uh, inspiring to feel. Yeah. It's the rise of the feminine is what I keep hearing. Like, I mean, I really, I, that I, in. yeah. And the feminine can exist in men. I mean, this is one of the right, things I right, say, right. I do think that women, we obviously we're bringing our own um, take on it and we call it the feminine gaze, but uh, so there, there are, there are only women that we're interviewing for the series. And again, and part of it also is, to your earliest point, encouraging women to step up, right? If you look at the top 20 business books, I haven't, I don't know this is for sure, but there was a stat once that was quoted to me at the top 20 business books that three were written by women. I'm like, where is everybody, right? So it's not only that we're not necessarily, you know, we have to fight our way through it a little bit more, but we also don't step up. And that has a lot to do with the fact that we think everything has to be perfect. And before we kind of throw it out there. And uh, I don't know how many of your um, viewers are also on Clubhouse, but it's been really interesting to watch this new medium take place and watch guys just go in there and kind of mess around and like not be perfect and just kind of like, you know, wing it. And women who want to get and make sure that it's all right. Even I haven't put some futurist in there yet because I want to be perfect before I get yeah, it out. I'm the same. I have the invitation and I'm just sitting there watching. 
No, but yeah. again, but, but it's all, you know, this is the reality. We've got to get in there. We start playing and it's not because we're trying to play it the men's way. I think there's a lot of, um, uh, restructuring, you know, I'm not necessarily just a lean in kind of gal into the patriarchy. I think there's a way of completely rethinking those systems. I have a lot of men who are friends of mine who are CEOs who start meetings at seven 30 in the morning. I said, you realize anybody who's trying to get their kid ready for school can't be at that meeting, mm-hmm. right? You've already just like, handicapped us by just deciding that you think that 730 is a normal time for a meeting. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a lot of systems right now that are not working well for women. And clearly we're seeing that this past year of the pandemic, when you've got a she session with 80% of people who drop out of the workforce are women, mm-hmm. because we're recognizing we just cannot do this without some of the support structures around to help us. So um, I think we're going to get much savvier about all this moving forward. There's really sophisticated work that's being done on this. If you know you want to go into that, which um, we can turn people on some resources that are really thinking through um, this uh, reckoning and what's happening to women in society and the ability to build much better, much more cohesive systems around it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just taking so much hope from this, Nancy, because I'm always a hopeful, <laughs> positive mindset person, but you know, there's just been so much shit that's hit the fan and the past year. And, and mm-hmm. it's like, where are we going to end up out of this and imagine this future of it's going to be better? Um, it's very exciting. So thanks for sharing all that with us. Um, I feel like there's so many nuggets from today that you dropped Nancy, but to a leader out there, a female leader, and I view any woman as a leader, even if she's just a leader of her home or just leading her own life, yeah, what yeah. would you say is the biggest tip you'd have for her? Um, you know, I mean, there are many, uh, I'll sort of bucket them. So, I mean, the first is just compassion, right? Compassion for yourself, compassion for your teammates, compassion for others on the planet who are, uh, you know, have just different hurdles that they're trying to go through. We're in a moment of tremendous transition and we can call it change, which freaks people out. I can call it growth, which actually inspires us a bit more. <laughs> uh, but the fact is there is transition. And so being able to take care of yourself, uh, just like the old, you know, gas mask on the airline, um, and then be able to take care of others. But I really do think compassion is a really big part of it. Try not to beat ourselves up so much for it. There's a whole conversation right now about the increase of imposter syndrome. Um, and the fact is we are leading and learning simultaneously. Historically, we had a chance to learn, integrate, and lead. And now it was all happening in real time, which is why, again, the book is called Leadering with a verb. And uh, so what does it mean to build that capacity? And so compassion becomes a big part of it. Curiosity becomes a big part of it encouraging ourselves to always ask what if, as opposed to never, and, and leaning into stuff that we're uncomfortable learning. It's not easy to learn new things. It challenges us in many different ways. And so the next piece of that then is building a support system. How do we build a community that we're able to learn with and grow with and challenge um, and on bad days have a chance to, to talk to one another? Uh, there was a great story one day about, I did some work with PwC, big um, accounting firm that is doing a big, huge digital transformation. And they've empowered a really young group of people. They call them digital accelerators. They're investing a lot in them around uh, understanding technological changes and shifts and then having them go back into the organization and sort of like a, I hate to say virus, you don't use that term anymore, but go in and like, you know, um, build internally some of the shifts in the system. And so um, I got to watch a panel discussion of these young people talking about what it felt like. And this woman was like, yeah, I'm doing all these online courses. And one day I just hit the wall and I was like, I'm too stupid to do this. What do I sign up for? This was a huge mistake. And she sort of doubted herself over and over again. And she picked up the phone and called somebody who kind of just like talked her down, you know? And at some point she's like, okay, she took a deep breath. I start all my keynote talks with a deep breath. Um, because at the end of the day, you realize you do have the capacity, but sometimes you just need someone to kind of like remind you of that. 
So building support structures, I think are really, really critical. And that's where I do think women have a huge advantage because we often have built these networks of support and a place where we can be vulnerable and we can, you know, share whatever it is that's going on. Uh, this is where I think men are, are very, very disadvantaged because they don't have that. And they're internalizing all of it, which we're seeing show up in really dangerous statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think use those networks, build those networks of support and community, stay curious, stay confident, uh, stay compassionate, and take lots of deep breaths. Yeah, so good, Nancy. Okay, where can everyone go get the book? Uh, Amazon. Um, you know, Amazon seems to be the, the threshold for it all. There, If you want bulk, bulk version, it's again, let me just tell you. Byzantine business right now has certainly not caught up with the times. I literally have a flow chart. If somebody wants bulk sales, there's like six different ways that we can somehow facilitate this. If they want it soft cover, hard cover, digital book, signed, not signed. Um, but for your average person, just got to get on Amazon.com. Uh, and the book is leadering. It's leadering. The ways visionary leaders play bigger. And it does show women and men. There's a lot of examples of brilliant women that have done things, including Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart is an amazing person when you actually read about her curiosity and how she's expressed that so many different ways. You know, one could argue she took, you know, a leap over an edge, but uh, even that she used to her advantage. Um, she's an amazing role model, but all the way um, through, there's plenty of examples of corporations. There's, it's, it's packed with statistics, stories, case studies, anecdotes. Some of it are mine, some of it are others, but there's a lot in there that people can, um, I think, find something to inspire them. With. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I told you I was just starting to read it, and I was reading it while my two year old was running around. And I was like, "No, this isn't the right headspace for this." Like, I really want to pay attention. I know it is. Yeah, it's my, a lot. My, it's good. My very curious father told me he felt like it was a textbook. I'm like, it is not a textbook. <laughs> it is. It's not that. It's not that intense, but it is packed. And it was actually really interesting. Again, back to your listeners, just quickly. I actually googled how women write nonfiction differently than men. And there's really a big difference because we can't just like make a, a big, bold point. And this is where futurism and women, I think, is challenging because we're living on the edge. We're living with ambiguity. There's not a lot of clarity here. Um, and that's, again, why the future society is so cool. So it's like, okay, if I want to make a proclamation, I feel like I need to pack it with all this stuff. And so there's a lot around each of the points that really prove it, right? I'm really trying to make someone believe that this is real as opposed to just like follow me down some, you know, glorious- Yellow Book Road. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, there's plenty, there's lots and lots of footnotes, there's lots of places you can dig deeper if you want, or you can just read, uh, the, honestly, if you just read the table of contents, you have a really good sense of where this is headed. So yeah, I um, mean, just the, the wake, wonder, navigate, all of that. I'm like, okay, got it. I mean, in all honesty, yeah. I mean, it's always just like this. If you only got this far, you'd actually already be like, yes, this is pretty much it. If you need, you know, proof around any one of those, you've got like 50 pages each to prove them out for you. But yeah. yeah, and Nancy and I are referring to the cover because y'all can't see us, but yeah, that's so good. Uh, well, Nancy, thank you so much for doing this. It was fun. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really yeah. appreciate it. And I wish you guys the best of luck. And if anyone's got comments or ideas, let us know. Yeah. Hey there, Miss Unstoppable. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed it, share it with a friend. Send them a picture of this episode via text, via email, share it on social media. I'm sure they would be so appreciative to know these strategies and tips on how to accomplish your dreams. If you are ready to guarantee you're going to accomplish your goals and dreams, then it's time to start coaching with me. In my nine-month simple success coaching system, I am going to walk you every single step of the way to ensure that you get the goals and dreams that you want. The first step is to apply for a free 60-minute consult call 
Just go to Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, epreston.com forward slash apply to get started. As always, my friend, remember, you're only as unstoppable as you believe you can be. So believe in yourself. You got this.